Hey, let's jump into this real quick. Um, over the last few weeks, last, last three weeks, we've been studying through what I think, it's my opinion only, but one of my favorite, I think it's the best chapter maybe in the whole Bible, is Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. There's also free Bibles in the back. It's going to be on your programs, but we use the Bible a lot around here, and if you don't have a Bible, it's great just so you can write notes in it and fold pages down and just then take it home with you. But let me just review the last three weeks that we've covered in here. Um, in this one chapter, we've seen that for those, this is how it started, for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Meaning that if you're a Christian, if you believe, if you have faith, if, if you're leading your life against what Jesus did on a cross for you as the, as the only thing that connects you back to God, your, your past, present, and future mistakes and, and, and any sins you might commit in the future, they don't result in condemnation. Not because you reach a point in your life where you don't sin anymore, you don't make mistakes anymore, but because Jesus pays for your mistakes for you and you're forgiven, there's no condemnation. But we also saw the other side of that, kind of the flip side, that if you are a Christian, then you have the spirit of Christ living inside of you, right? And if, and that's a big word on that second week, if you have the spirit of Christ living inside of you, he speaks to you. And if he speaks to you, you listen to him and you follow where his voice leads you. And if you listen and follow where his voice leads you, your life changes, and that's a big thing on week two, right? right? Um, the, the evidence of a person being a Christian is not just saying they believe all the right stuff. The evidence of a person having Christ living inside of them is this, my life changed or my life is changing. My life is different than before I started following Jesus and had him living inside of me. The path of my life, the trajectory of my life is, is lining up more and more and more with, with what Jesus wants and how Jesus wants me to live. And my life is looking less and less and less like my old past and my old mistakes that used to describe me. In this chapter, uh, chapter 8, we, we've seen the author, Paul, uh, pick up a metaphor that Jesus used a lot in describing the relationship that God wants to have with you and me. God, and there it is, God adopts you through Jesus Christ and invites you to call him Father. He's creator of the universe. He wants you to call him Father, an intimate and permanent relationship. And we've seen that Father God is willing and able to use all the things that, that have happened in your life or might or will happen to you in, in your whole life, good or bad things. He says, I'll use all things together for your good, for something good. We've seen that God meets us and helps us. This is what we looked at last week. Not if we try hard, you know, do our best. Not if we make God a big promise and then we're able to keep it. Then God will help us. No, God doesn't help us if, if we meet him halfway. God meets us and helps us in our, what's the word last week? In our weakness, right? Even to the point that if you're, so, if you're at a point in your life where you're so weak and you're so tired and you're so exhausted and so confused, so locked up, you don't even know what to do. You don't even know what to pray anymore. What we learned last week is that Jesus will pray for you when you just, all you can do is kind of lay on the couch and groan. So, so that's why, that's a good chapter. You got to give me that, all right? That's why I call it like my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. But some of us, and here's what we're going to get to tonight. Tonight's question is this. Some of us are still hung up on this, but can I trust God? I mean, I know he's made me some big promises. Everything you just talked about sounds really good. But the truth is, all right, and this is the conversations we have in our head, there's lots of people in my life that have made me big promises and they didn't keep them. So how do I know? How do I know God really wants to be my father? And if I do ask him to be my father, how do I know he really will keep his promise and he really will take care of me? How do I know that I can trust God? That's what I want to look at tonight. So if you have your Bibles or the program, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going we're to pick up in verse 31, all right? <clears throat> we'll finish out this chapter and then we'll start a Christmas series next week. Yeah, decorations, it'll be great. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. All right, here we go. What then shall we say in response to this? Okay, so it's, in other words, here's what Paul's going to use the rest of the chapter 8. It's, it's kind of, all right, it's decision time. 
Okay, Paul has just laid out over the last three weeks of this, of this chapter, right? Kind of made a case for, um, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's promised. This is what he's done for you. This is what he's willing to do for you in the, past, in the future. Now, Paul turns around and goes, so what are you going to do with that? Well, what's your response to, you know, God wants to be your father and Jesus wants to live inside of you. What are you going to do with all this stuff? So, now, that's a really typical Bible response to a question, all through the Bible, when, when people would look up at heaven and ask God a question, or later when Jesus was walking the earth, they would ask Jesus a question. Very often, Jesus would, would answer their question with another question. And that's a Middle Eastern thing that still happens today, by the way, all right? It's, it's kind of like he's saying, all right, I hear your question. That's a really good question. Before I answer that, let me ask you a question. And then as you kind of sort through that, maybe you can figure out your own answer for the question you just asked me. So the rest of this chapter, Paul is going to lay out a series of questions for, for us tonight to help us make our own decision. Nobody can shove this down your throat. We started Romans 8 with this, or the whole chapter, or book of Romans going, there's some stuff that you're just going to have to work out with God. So tonight, we're just going to lay out some questions, and you're going to kind of come to your own conclusion about, what am I going to do with all this? All right? In other words, the question is, how do I know if I can trust God, and he'll keep his promises to me? So Paul says, well, let me ask you this. Let's keep going, all right? Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who could be against us? All right? So here's the first thing he lays out. He lays out okay, you got questions, right? Here's my question. If God is for us, who, who could be against us? And the answer to the question, if, if, if God's for us, who could be against us is, it doesn't matter. Right? It doesn't matter who's, who might be against you because God's for you. And God's greater than anyone or anything that might be against you. And that makes sense if God is for us. But again, the hidden question that we're going is, but, but how do I know God is for me? Because it doesn't really feel like it tonight, right? So then Paul answers that question. How do I know? Verse 32. He, God, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. All right, here, if that's true, right? How will he, how will God not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all, all things? So the question is, how, how do I know God is for me? How do I know God really loves me? How do I know that I can trust God to take care of me? And Paul just, you know, sometimes preachers do this. They'll start, you know, light, and then they'll build and build and build and build to this big climactic moment and go, ta-da, you know. But Paul doesn't do that. He just says, oh, you got a question? He just pulls the pin out and throws a grenade in the room. He says, you want to know, you want to know if God's for you? You, you want to know if God's leaning in your direction? You want to know if you can ask, if you can trust God in the future? Really, seriously, that's your question? If you can trust God? Well, well think about this. Okay, and that's what he's telling us to do tonight. Think about the past. God saw what you needed in the past to have, you know, your past forgiven, have your life put back together. And the answer, you know, he asked that question, what do you need? The answer to what you needed to have our lives put back together was my only son, Jesus, being butchered on a cross. Okay, so that's the answer to the question. What do you need? You need my son to be butchered on a cross? All right. Now, logically, doesn't it make sense that if he didn't put the brakes on on that one, if he didn't look at you and go, whoa, 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 I know what you need, no. No, 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 that's too, that's too much. I, I, I'll do this a lot for you, but I, I won't do that. No, if, if he didn't put on the brakes and, 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 and say, no, I won't, I won't go that far for you. Now, answer me this. Why do you think he'll quit on you tonight? If he didn't quit when, when, when you needed the life of his son. Well, what makes you think that he would do all that for you and then tonight look at you and go, well, I'm not gonna take care of you today. And this is what we're going to look at tonight, one of the greatest, most foundational truths of the Christian faith, but probably one of the most forgotten and, and overlooked truths by, by many Christians, especially when you're going through painful circumstances, especially when your life is really, really hard and you can't explain it. 
And here's this truth I want us to get our arms around tonight. And some of us won't be able to do it, but just file it away. Maybe someday say you can. But let me clear something up for you, all right? We, talking about people who who have faith in Jesus, we, we don't lean our faith, our belief system, all right? We don't lean our faith against what's currently happening in our lives, good or bad. We don't lean our faith against what's happening with our families, with our marriages, with our kids, with our health, with how much money we have in the bank. That is not what we lean our faith against. We don't lean our faith against our ability to understand all the hows and whys of what's happening to us and the people in our life that we love. Look, this is going to blow your mind. We don't, we don't even lean our, our faith against anything God might or might not do for us in the future. We, we don't even lean our faith against how God might answer our prayers. Well, I'll I'll have faith in you if you change this or if you fix this or if you do what I want you to do. That's not what we lean our faith against. We don't don't lean our faith against anything that might happen. You might want to write this down. We lean our faith against something that already happened, something that's already taken place. We lean our faith against, we rest our security against, we, we, we rest in the assurance that God is for us and really on our side based on just one thing. 2,000 years ago, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that, that whoever, everyone, all who put their faith in him and lean their lives against Jesus won't perish. There will no be, not be any condemnation. You will have your sins forgiven. You will be adopted as God's son or daughter. You'll be given the spirit of Jesus to live inside of you. You'll be given grace and mercy in your time of need and weakness now in this life, and you'll have eternal life with God forever. We lean our life, our faith against an event, not that might happen in the future, not, not in whether or not our circumstance gets better or, or worse tomorrow or the next day. No, we lean everything. We, we have to lean everything against an event that already happened in history as a demonstration of, let me, let me show you how much I love you. We lean our life against the cross. We lean our whole existence, our faith against the cross. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago. Romans chapter five, verse eight says this, but God demonstrates, you wanna know? Let me just show you, all right? God demonstrates his own love, his level of commitment to you in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What Paul is saying is this, if if you're looking for proof, I know your life is is screwed up and 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 you're confused, you don't know what's going on and, and you're trying to go, I don't know if God loves me or not. If you're looking for proof that you can count on God in the future, let me just say, God has already demonstrated how, how far he is willing to lean in your direction, the links he's willing to go, the commitment level to you. He's already demonstrated that in the past. What do you mean? Jesus died on a cross for you, was buried and three days later rose from the dead. And get this, if he didn't do another thing for you, that would be enough. But if he did everything else for you except that, if he answered every prayer and fixed every problem, made every cancer cell stop and all that kind of, if he did everything except send Jesus to you, then what? Then what do you have? See, we talked about this last week. If you need or you want God to, to help you in your weakness and change what's happening in your circumstances, ask him. Beg him. Go to your knees and cry and, and, and say, God, I need you to fix this. This is, this is going wrong. I, I need you. I, I need you to change this. I need you to heal her. I, I need you to put this back together. There's nothing wrong with that. God, as our Father, says, come to me and ask me for anything that's going on in your life that you need. But the thing to keep in mind is this. Whether or not things change, whether or not things go the way you think they ought to go, whether or not God does what you think he ought to do, you have to remember this. Regardless of what might or might not change in your life, What might or might not change in your circumstance, God has already demonstrated his his level of commitment to you and answered the bigger question. 
and your greatest need. He's already done that for you. And I'm gonna give you a great example in my own life. This is a tough one, all right? A few months ago, if you'll remember, I stood up here and said, hey, I just found out my dad has cancer. All right, so let me just kind of give you a, an update, all right? Um, uh, uh, over the last several months, he's done a whole bunch of radiation treatments, like 10 of them over, over uh, two and a half months, and things look great. He has cancer all over his face and head and neck, all right? And, and it looked really, really good. And, and then a few days, just a few days after the radiation treatment stopped, the cancer came back stronger than ever. I mean, fast. So he and my mom, they went down to the VA, they went down to Brown Cancer Center, and they went through a bunch more tests, and they found that the cancer had spread and had metastasized, I think that's the right word, to his liver. And cancer of the liver is untreatable. There's no treatment. It's it's incurable. And outside of God reaching down from heaven and intervening and doing something on the supernatural level, with, with chemo, my dad has a few weeks left. Maybe a couple months. So over Thanksgiving last week, we all went back, Robin and I and the kids and their, their, their husband and their wife, we all flew back to Indiana to be together as a family, maybe, maybe for the last time. Now, how do I pray? What should I pray for? Uh, do I pray that God reaches down and supernaturally heals my dad? Yes! Oh, good, that's what I would have said, too. Good, yeah. Yes, every day I pray that prayer. God, please heal my dad. If I get a vote, I vote, and I think you'd vote with me, heal Jim's dad, all right? I I vote for that. Do I pray that medicine works? I pray that every day. Do I pray that my dad doesn't have any pain? I pray that all the time. Do I pray that I get more hours and days with my dad? I pray that fervently with everything I have. But do I equate God doing things that I want him to do in the way I think he ought to do it as proof that God is on my side? Or he loves my dad, or that God is for me, or God is for my dad, and loves me and my dad, and is willing to take care of me. If he does that, then I know God's on my side. Is that what I'm doing? Is that what I can do? And the answer is, no, you can't do that. You you, you can't. God has already settled that. See, 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to fix my dad's bigger problem. My dad had sin in his life, and he was separated from God. And because Jesus came, it was addressed and taken care of. And if God answered my prayer to take away my dad's cancer, but but God wasn't willing to send his son to take away my dad's sin, then what's the point? Right? Let's just get right to it. See, I told you, I I, I preface this whole thing by Christians are weird. We We even approach death weird. Like the, unlike the rest of the world, right? We don't lean our faith against what, what might be happening in our world or in our bodies. We don't base our standing with God or gauge his level of commitment to us based on today's a good day. Well, today's a bad day. God loved me yesterday. He didn't really love me today. No, no, no. Not, no. We base it on I know. I know God is for me. How do you know, Jim? Because he gave his son Jesus to me. And if he hadn't done that, even if he'd done everything else in my life, everything else went my, in my life went my way, it wouldn't help. But because he did give me Jesus and he gave my dad Jesus, even if nothing else works out, we're fine. Are you? I'm going to be okay. More important, my dad is. See, 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 no matter what happens in your life, in spite of everything that happens in your life, regardless of what might happen to you in your life, the question is, is God for me? It's already been answered. If you missed it, he is. God is for you. He's on your side. He already proved that through Jesus. So now you can know that that whatever it is that God knows, oh, she's going to need that. 
He's not going to make it unless I make sure he has this in his life. He looks at that and he knows and says, I will graciously and freely give you everything that I know that you need. And folks, this is not just religious theory of a religious guy on stage telling you about life. I see it every, every day. I see it every week right out here in the lobby when I talk to you guys. See, you guys are carrying some hard stuff. I don't know what that is, but um, <laughs> it might get harder here in a minute. Uh, now, I, this, over the last month, here's what the conversations I've had in the lobby, all right? My husband messed up and he's going back to prison. And I look at someone and go, how are you doing? And here's the response. God's holding us together. My wife, my son committed suicide. How, how, how are you holding together? God's holding us together. I just found out I have cancer. How are you feeling? God's holding me together. My husband cheated on me. My wife filed for divorce. My parents are splitting up. We just lost our baby. How are you doing? I've never felt God's presence more in my whole life. See, Paul starts this section of the chapter with with a big umbrella statement of God's already on your side. He's already demonstrated his level of commitment to you by sending Jesus to you. So no matter what happens in your life, you can rest assured he's not gonna abandon you now. But see, I, I think because Paul's just like us, he knows us and he knows himself and he knows human nature. And maybe as he's talking to people, you know, they're in Rome or they're, they're reading this he, or, you know, maybe he read it by, I'm going to send this letter to Rome. What do you think? I, I think that he, he saw people look back at him and go, I, I think I know what you mean. Kind of wrinkle up their, their, their foreheads and cock their heads to the side. And in the back, he knows they're asking the questions you're asking. Yeah, but what about this? What about that? What if this happens? And what about this? And what about this? I mean, sure, surely that's got to make a difference, right? So Paul keeps on with the questions. Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who will bring any charge? Who will put a finger in the chest of anyone whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So the question that people have, all right, so, all right, so he's going to see me through cancer, but how, how about this? What about all the voices in my life reminding me about my past? Do you ever hear those voices, Anybody? Right? What about all the fingers in my chest accusing me of things that I actually am guilty of? All the people that are talking to me about all the things that I have failed at. Because here's the thing is, they're right. I've done a lot of things wrong in my life. I have failed in tons of areas of my life. If somebody wanted to build a case against me as, as you know what, you haven't done some things right, you've done a lot of things wrong, they would not have a hard time. I mean, right, I mean, that's, maybe that's just me, but I think it's true with almost everybody in the room. If somebody really wanted to build a case against you about you screwed up here, 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 and you should have done this, but you didn't. Would anybody have a hard time filling up a page or two? All right, that's just, that's just us, all right? So, so, so here's the question, really, all right? So, so what does my past or maybe my future failings, how does that affect God's commitment level to me? Because I know so many Christians who go to bed going, I don't know if I'm saved anymore because I really screwed up today. How, how does God's, my failures or my past or my, my screw up in the future, how does that affect God's commitment level to me? And the answer is, it doesn't. It, it does Nothing. This is going to blow your mind. You don't want to write this down. This is really deep. But see, when, when God chose to forgive your sins through Jesus, when you came to him and said, God, I, I am sorry for my past and I want to be a better man and woman. I know I can't pay for my past. Would you allow what Jesus did on the cross? Pay as the price of, uh, of my past. And God looked at you and said, yes. Here's the thing is, he knew everything about you. It's not like, if he knew about this, he probably wouldn't have said yes, right? No, no. He knew everything about you. And get this, this is just going to blow your mind. He knew everything you would do after you became a Christian, all the mistakes, all the screw-ups, all the, all the things that you just, just blow, blow up, all right? 
and he went ahead and accepted you anyway. And that word justified there, it says God has justified. Well, what that means is that all the charges that have been brought against you in the past, kind of a courtroom, brought against you in the past, might be brought against you today or might be leveled at you in the future, they've already been paid for. They're justified. Someone told me that justified could be translated, it's just as if I'd never sinned. They're paid for. They're forgiven. Next question, verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, you gotta answer this question. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So here's the thing is, chapter eight, if you look back in your own Bible, the first verse in chapter eight starts out with a really big statement, there's no condemnation, none for those in Christ Jesus. But Paul knows this, this room is full of people going, I'm not sure I believe that about me. For most people, there's no condemnation, but, but I'm not sure it's true about me. So he brings up the question again, kind of like, because here's why, I know you're sitting here going, surely there has to be something that I do that's so big, or, or I mean, it's just, there's something, it's a matter of time until I do, that God's going to finally look back at me and go, uh, enough. Oh, okay, I, I was wrong about you. That was the last time. I mean, I forgave your sins, but I didn't know you were going to do that. And this time you went too far. Get out. I don't want to be your father. Is that true? Is there, is there a point where God's just going to kick me out? And the answer is no. No. Right now, all right, the same Jesus who died on a cross for your sins 2,000 years ago, the same Jesus who rose from the dead after three days is right now at 535, all right, in the presence of God, interceding for you, connecting you back to God, doing for you what you can't do for yourself. Here's the thing, all right, time out real quick, all right? So I was studying these verses this past week in my office, and I, I, sometimes I think I sound smart, but it's only because I have really good books, all right? Because I'm not that smart. The books make me look good. But anyway, so I have these books that take the, the language, like Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and stuff like that, that the Bible was originally written in, and they give me a word-for-word translation right out of the original language. And these two verses, these two sentences, I, I love how, how they're translated. The, if you look back at those verses, that, that, that question about who will bring any charge against you, and he, who is he that condemns could literally be translated this way out of the Greek. Who's the one who thinks that he or she can? Or where does anyone get off thinking they can bring an accusation or pass condemnation on the person that God has already forgiven? Who do you think you are to accuse my, my people? That's exactly how it translates. Who, who do they think they are that can get off accusing you of stuff that God's already forgiven you for? Who, who does that? And I'm just going to answer the question. There's a lot of people that think they can, right? You're sitting next to some of them, right? And I'll look down right now. But uh, and a lot of people will try to bring up your past, condemn you, judge you. But no one has the right to do that. And nobody has the ability to outdo or, or overrule or, or overturn what God has already decided about you. No one can successfully defeat you. No one can, you know, successfully accuse or condemn you. There's no one in this world that can do that. But, but do you know, I, I will say this. Do you know who I have found in my life anyway, the most finger-pointing person in my life? Do you know the person that, that, that brings up my past the most, the most judgmental, condemning person in my whole life? You know who it is? Me. Isn't that true? Jesus died for me, so he's okay with me. God forgave me. We're fine. I won't let myself off the mat. Right? And one of the reasons is I just look around at my tough circumstances that still feel tough. They still feel as hard and painful and as frustrated as ever. And I think, see, nothing changed. My life is still hard. I, I, I knew I couldn't change. I knew nothing would ever change. And I feel, sometimes I feel, based on my circumstances, I feel as cut off from God as I ever felt. 
So Paul knows that, so he puts, here's another question, all right, fourth question. All right, well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? In other words, what, what is going on in your life that makes you feel that God doesn't love you anymore? And Paul goes through some of the scenarios that, that, that can make us mistakenly feel like God's kind of withdrawn his protection and his love for us. And he gives us a list. Like, like how about this? Shall trouble, when you're, in times, when you're really in trouble, going through times of trouble in your life, don't you feel cut off from God? Shall trouble, all right, or, or hardship? There's times in my life when it's really hard and I feel like God's a million miles away. Or persecution, like when people are really mean to you, don't you feel like, where's God right now, right? Or, or famine, when you don't have enough. You don't have enough food, you don't have enough money, you don't have rent, you don't, you don't have a job, or, or nakedness. And to me, that's like the most embarrassing, when, when you're really embarrassed and humiliated, going, where's God when I need him now? Or danger, do you ever feel like I mean, you're shaking, going, I don't know what's gonna happen. And you think, where's God when I need him? Or, or sword, and this is, I, don't, I wish you'd left this one out. All right, this, this is the sword of justice, not somebody sticking you with a sword. This is the sword of justice, meaning this, maybe I'm the only one, but, but I, I did something wrong and I have to pay for it. I was kind of hoping God would get me out of it. You know, it's like, I thought if God loved me, he'd just make the cop go one by and I'd be invisible, like, all right, all right. But, but apparently I have to go to jail now and I have to pay the fine now and I have to pay alimony now. I have to do all that. And I thought if God loved me, he'd fix this, but it feels like he doesn't because I have to go to jail for committing a crime. I feel like I'm separated from God, even though it's my fault. Look at this next verse. As it is written, so he's gonna quote from the Old Testament, for your sake, for God's sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And again, this is from the Old Testament. Paul grew up studying the Old Testament, but this is how this is literally translated. Just because you're God's child, just because God loves you, you don't get a free pass on suffering. Do we? Look at the heads. No, we don't. No, no. Just because you love Jesus and Jesus loves you, you don't get a pass on, suffer, on suffering. You don't get a guarantee that your spouse will keep their vows. Just because you, you love Jesus and Jesus loves you, there's no, there's no cancer-free zone or something like that. It's just not true. But here's what is different if you are God's child. Different than if you weren't. See, the question is, can any of those things, whether my fault or somebody else's fault, fair or unfair, can anything separate me or nullify God's love and commitment level to me? Here's the answer, verse 37. This is a good one. You might want to memorize this one. No. No, in all these things, what? Uh, famine and nakedness and you know, trouble and persecution. In all these things, we are what? More than conquerors. Not just conquerors, not just get through the day. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And more than conquerors means God's going to do more than just get you to survive. God's going to do more than get you through it. More than conquerors means this. God is going to use what you're going through for more than you'll ever understand now, later. He will make this thing, this tragedy, this hard, horrible thing, he'll actually manipulate it around so it actually serves you. And then he goes on, in case you missed everything, look at verse 38. For I'm, all right, here's how I can say all this. I am convinced that neither death nor life, that'd be everything, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so the result of being convinced that you're more than a conqueror, that God is on your side, that you're more than just a person who deserves to go to hell but caught a lucky break, the result of that is this. When you know, this is called faith, by the way, when, when you know that there is nothing in existence in the physical world or in the spiritual realm that can separate you from God, to separate you from his love and his protection and his provision for you, the result of that is you can get up out of this room and go live your life different. 
with more security, with, with less fear, with confidence. See, when you're convinced that that, that that is really true, you don't give up when normally you would. You don't, you don't lose hope and you can risk more. And here's what I mean. Do you, do you remember a few weeks ago that we, we looked at this going, just because you know, God gives you grace and this, no matter what you do, God promises that he'll forgive you, that's not permission to go on sinning. Remember, we talked about that a lot. It's a big theme in the book of Romans. Just because you're forgiven doesn't give you a free pass to go sin because God will take care of you anyway. So let me give you the flip side of that, right? maybe in a question. If, if you were absolutely convinced that God was leaning in your direction, if you were absolutely convinced that, 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 that God was telling you to go, get up out of this room in about 10 minutes, get up out of this room. I want, here's what I want. I want you to go do something. I want you to go try something. I want you to risk something that, that kind of makes you nervous just right now, just the idea of even bringing it up. But here's the thing is, no matter how big or scary or risky or crazy and people look at you and go, that's just ridiculous, it's improbable. You'll, you'll probably just get embarrassed. No, no matter how weird it might sound, if you were convinced that no matter what happens, that God would take care of you, if you're absolutely convinced that God promises that he will use what, how, whatever this thing goes, however it goes, for you, whether you're successful or you fall on your face, if you were absolutely convinced that was true, would you live your life any different? If you believe that nothing could separate you from the love of God, is there a part of your life you go, well, if that's true, I'm gonna try this. Would you try something that currently you're afraid to try? There's something you're about to give up on and quit, someone you're about to give up on and quit, but if you're absolutely convinced that God would go into this with you, could you keep on going and not quit? So, so the question that we're trying to answer tonight is this, can I trust God? And the answer is yes, on, on, on two different levels. First, no matter what you've done, how many times you've done it, no matter what other people say about you or what they do to you, how many fingers they put in your chest and accuse you of, none of that has an effect whatsoever on God's promise to stick by you, to love you and take care of you. And that may be the only thing you needed to hear tonight. Don't, don't give up. God loves you, God is with you, and Jesus is in you. You're gonna be okay, all right? But second of all, if that's true, if that's true, that nothing can threaten, nothing can endanger, nothing can separate you from God's loving protection and provision that he promises through Jesus. Here's the big question and we're done. What's God telling you to do? I'm not asking, is he telling you? He speaks, right? What's God telling you to do? What do you mean? Is God telling you to get up out of this room and go start something? Is God telling you, hey, when you get out of this room, I want you to bring something to a stop. I want you to change this. I want you to keep doing this. I want you to take a big risk. I want you to try something. But, but here's the thing is, you, you, you're sitting here going, ah, I know that's probably what God wants me to do, but I, I'm just so tired and I'm just so afraid because I don't know how it'll turn out. And here's what I didn't say. I'm not sure that's God. <laughs> no, no, it's God. It's in his word. He confirms it through his spirit because his spirit's in you and, and he's speaking to you, all right? So you know it's God. His voice is in you and, and he's speaking to you right now. I want you to go do this in your marriage. I want you to go do this in your addiction. I want you to go do this with your family. I want you to go do this with your money. I want you to go do this with your health. I want you to go do this with your sexuality. It's not even unclear if it's God or not. It is. But for some reason, you're locked up. And you say, I, I haven't done it yet. But would it change anything 
if you're absolutely convinced that God was with you. So, I'm done. God is not waiting for you to do something and then he'll show up and prove that he loves you. It's not how it works. If you'll do this, Jim, or if you'll go over here and if you'll pray this and go to church enough, and then, then I'll show you what a good father I am. No, no. He went first. He already went first while you were still a sinner, before you knew his name, before you cared anything about him, let alone darken the door, the door of a church. He already demonstrated the links he's willing to go for you. He already went first. Now it's your turn. And I'm not God. <laughs> and my voice is not his voice. But I have a feeling that God's telling some of us in this room, I want you to get up out of this room and I want you to go to do the thing I'm telling you to do. Not so that God will love you, but because you're convinced that he already does. I get this all the time. I had a, a great conversation right before church about people being led. Well, I'm, I just don't feel led to do that. Well, I just, you know, I just, I just, you know, I'm just looking for a sign. Well, if you were asking God for a sign about whether or not you should obey his word or something like that, here's your sign, right? Tonight's your sign. If your God is for you, then what could stand against you? If God really is on your side and he's telling you to do this, who could stop you? And the answer is nothing. Let's go do it. So God, we come to the end of one of the best descriptions of how good you are to us. You've demonstrated your commitment level to us in the past. You've taken away our condemnation. And we're all grateful for that. We sing songs, we're you know, getting ready for Christmas. Jesus came to the world to take our sins away. And we're all, I don't want to minimize that at all, God. I'm so grateful and thankful for that. Without that, if you've not done that for us, then if you've done everything else for us, it wouldn't matter. But we're still living in fear. We're still living in, in, in worry and we're still living in doubt and, and we're locked up, some of us, because we're just not sure, convinced that you really will be with us. We know you're telling us to do something. You know you're telling us to not give up or you know, to walk away, to start or stop. You're, we know you're telling us to do that, but for some reason we just are like afraid because we don't know what tomorrow holds. And so, um, God, will you just remind us tonight that you're on our side. And anytime we doubt that, just kind of scroll back through the years and go, oh yeah. If he gave me Jesus, what, what, why would I think that he wouldn't care about this too? So God, will you go with me? Each one of us, is, they're carrying heavy burdens. I'm just overwhelmed by the stories I've heard even in the last week during this holiday season. It's just a, it is a season of joy and peace on earth and all that, but man, it just really magnifies those of us who don't have peace in our life, those of us who don't have family in our life, those of us who don't have love in our life, and we just feel alone. And so in this time, in this season especially, God, we need to know that you're with us and for us and on our side, that you'll take care of us. Because if we're convinced of that, if you're for us, nothing can stop us. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.